Hello, beloved. This is Pastor Steve Castle. I'm so honored that you've chosen to listen to us today. If there's any additional information that you need, please visit our website at www.belovedchurchillinois.com. We thank you that you are continuing to give God an opportunity to minister to your hearts. He has amazing, wonderful plans for your life. We would love to join you on the journey of you finding out the depths of the relationship that you could have with Him. You were created in His image for a beautiful purpose, and He wants to show you that purpose. We continue to believe God with you and for you to accomplish that goal. If you're in the area, please stop by. Remember, at Beloved Church, this is the place where you are greatly loved. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Please get your Bible out. I do not want you to take my word for it. I know that you love me and you trust me and all of those amazing things, but I want you to see this in your own in your own Bible, in your own scriptures, so that no one could ever say that that Pastor Steve led them astray. And go to verse, uh, let's look here. Man, this is all so good. Uh, let's jump in at verse 29. This is the Lord, if you've got a Bible that's got red letters, uh, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. And he says, And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. Now, I think it's interesting how he uh, correlated these specific things. He said... Don't seek what you need to eat. You could say the paycheck that you need to buy the food that you eat. The nourishment that comes from food. Don't seek nourishment that comes. I could, I could break this down in like dozens of different ways. You know, a lot of people think that their health is a derivative of what they eat or they don't eat. Not in the kingdom. A lot of people think that, that, uh, that maybe the, the way their minds operate is, is based upon how well hydrated they are, or how much sleep they get or they don't get. Not in the kingdom. Not in the kingdom. Jesus specifically said, do not seek for these things. And that word seek is talking about your heart gravitating towards, or your heart trying to pull from. Do not think that there is anything in this natural world that is going to produce life that is going to produce peace, that is going to produce wealth. This is specifically what the Lord is talking about here. He's talking to his people about how they should operate in the financial realm of this natural world while still living from a kingdom perspective. So do not seek what you shall eat, what you shall drink, and neither be of doubtful mind. Do you see how the seeking of life and peace and joy and anything or health, anything that comes from seeking these natural things, do you see how the Lord correlates this to doubting specifically in your mind? Mind talks about perception and thoughts. And so being in doubt in your perception and your thoughts means that you're going to look from something, look for 
something and from something of this world that is going to bring value or ability into your life. Man, praise you, Jesus. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows you have need of these things. Here's, a, here's again the Lord drawing this clear line. This is how the world operates. But you have a Father. And He knows what you need. He draws this clear, thick, dark line. If you are operating as an orphan without a father, and you don't believe that you are loved and taken care of by the most powerful, the most wealthy entity in the world, then you need to get into this world system and you need to grind away and you need to have a perfect diet and you need to make sure that you, you filter everything you drink and you need to make sure that you, you read 14 leadership books a day and, and you go get the best degree from the best school and, and you rub shoulders with all the with all the influential and wealthy people in this world because that's how you're going to live. Or you have a father. He's wealthy. He's powerful. He loves you. And he knows exactly what you need. Where do you want to live? Verse 31, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. As you are seeking the kingdom of God. Now think about this. You are seeking to have the kingdom of our God be the kingdom that you live in and the kingdom that you manifest in your surroundings. Let let me say it this way. The Father is really good at taking care of whatever needs that are in your life as you are expanding his kingdom in your heart, in your home, and in your culture, in your environment. When we are not doing that, what we've done is we have literally pushed him away and we said that we will provide for our own needs because we are about our own kingdoms. But the Father says, if you are about my kingdom, I know exactly what you need. I know how much you need. I know where to get it from. I know how to get it to you. This is, this is black and white. This is the real opportunity that the Father wants to make in our lives and our hearts. As we are, are quote-unquote busy about his kingdom, That gives him the freedom and the ability to be busy about whatever the needs are in our lives to expand that kingdom. But the Father cannot finance you building your kingdom. The Father's actually interested in tearing down every other kingdom and replacing it with his. So if I am busy about building Steve Castle's kingdom... I am not, I cannot expect in any way for the Father to finance that. He is going to finance me building his kingdom. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, verse 32 is, 
is kind of what the Lord was drilling back to. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you see how he, he literally draws, uh, he draws the, the juxtapose between fear and love? Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's pleasure. I can say this. You know what pleases Father God? To, to meet all of your needs, to finance every single aspect of your life as you are seeking Him and His kingdom. That pleases, brings, brings pleasure to the Father. <laughs> now, if you get this, like, in belief, I'm not talking about getting this in, in just knowledge or, or in an informational way, but if you get this in legitimate belief, that you really believe that it brings pleasure to your Father to provide for everything you will ever possibly need, and to do it, I'm going to actually show you this, and to do it in an extraordinary way. When you believe that, not if, because I, I believe that I am talking to, to those 0.1 percenters of amazing people that, that live in and operate from the finished work of the cross. When you believe this, there will be a supernatural change in your finances. Supernatural. Because you've moved into a supernatural system. In this world, there's a natural system. Uh, one hour of work equals whatever your wage is, 20 bucks an hour. Uh, one written book equals $10,000 in royalties. Uh, one stock investment equals X number of dollars of return. That's the natural world and the natural kingdom. In the supernatural kingdom, your father owns everything. Your father has given you the ability to create with your words. Your father has limitless opportunities, power, and authority that he is looking for opportunity to use on your behalf. It brings him pleasure for you to allow him to do that. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 30. Man, it's so hard to break. If you haven't read Romans chapter 8, uh, or in a while, I guess I should say, it is really hard to break into anything here. Verse 31. Romans 8.31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? This is an important question. And, you know, it's almost like one of those statements like, well, why, why would you even ask that? Well, of course God is for me. I, listen, he was, the Apostle Paul was writing to the Roman church. 
And he's halfway through. There's 16 chapters in Romans. He's halfway through this letter. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, halfway into a letter to one of the, at that time, to one of the strongest churches in the entire world. The Holy Spirit, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, says, if. Now, that's just not in there. Like, the, the Lord isn't sarcastic just to be sarcastic. The Lord doesn't ask questions just to poke around and, and to, to maybe make language a little bit more efficient or effective. These, this is a legitimate question from your Father. If God is for us. And I, I think, honestly think that in today's world, in this, in this very, very messed up world that we are currently living in, pandemic, panic, fear, uh, government overreach, slavery, tyranny, these things that are going on in our world right now, I, I have seen so many folks lose faith. Or actually, probably what happened was they became aware of the fact that they weren't truly living in faith to begin with. And I am, I am talking to you, beloved. I am talking to the remnant. I am talking to the one percenters who I know that you are in faith. That you are standing strong. And the answer to this question, if God be for me. There's no if in your heart. You know that you know that God is for you. And if that's true, then what can be against you? What or who? What or who can come against a person that's got God for a bodyguard? What or who can come against a person that has God for a financier? What or who can come against a person that has God for a ruler, for a Lord? Beloved, this is, these are real, real truths. And you can look around your life right now. You can look at the fruits of your life and, 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 and the way that you are are living right now, in this specific day, right now, April of 2020, middle pandemic, you can look at the fruits of your life and you can actually say, you can look and you can actually say whether you know for sure that you are living from a place of God being for you or you just don't know what's going to happen. Verse 32, he that spared not his own son, listen to these words. The father didn't spare his only beloved son, but delivered him up for us all. He traded. Hallelujah. The father loved us. So much that he traded the life 
of Jesus Christ to get your heart. And if he was willing to trade Jesus to get you, this verse literally says, how shall he not also with him give us all things? You believe that the Father was willing to put Jesus Christ on a cross to forgive you of your sins. You believe that the Father was willing for Jesus Christ to have every single square inch of his flesh torn apart by whips and beatings for your healing and your health. You believe that Jesus Christ bore the wrath and the judgment of God being burnt up on the cross. You believe that Jesus Christ paid, paid, personally paid for your sins in hell. But we struggle to believe whether our Father will pay our bills, give us food, give us houses to live in, vehicles to drive, clothes to wear. You believe your father would pay for every sin, past, present, and future, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but not through Jesus Christ provide things that you need for this life? That's exactly what this verse is saying. Jesus said, fear not, little flock. It's your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. And here's the Holy Spirit saying, you believe that the Father was willing to sacrifice Jesus for eternity? Why is it so hard for us to believe that the Father also wants to provide for our temporality? So I want you to really consider that. If you're out there and, 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 and you believe that this is an opportunity for you to express your faith in the Father taking care of you, I will tell you that beloved church is good ground. If you want to take the fruit of these beliefs and you really want to put them into action, get these seeds in the ground so they can produce more trees, we're changing lives at beloved church. We're changing hearts. We're changing generations. We're supporting works literally all over the world. And you have an opportunity to be a part of that. So if you're out there and you're hip to the online um, given thing, then you can, you can see the, uh, the link that we have right there on the screen for you. You can follow that. Um, we, have, we go through PayPal, a very, very well-recognized uh, payment system, or whatever you want to say, um, online system. And so you can, you can be sure, you can rest at ease that it's going to be handled uh, properly with honor. We pray about, as a staff, literally every week, we pray about making good decisions with the finances. Every month we get together, we make, uh, we make decisions, and we pray, and we sanctify our hearts to make sure that we're making good, good decisions with the finances that are coming into this aspect of the kingdom. 
Um, if you are not hip to the jive of all the online stuff, you are more than welcome to put to put something in the mail and send it to us. We're at 216 West Mason Street in Lena, Illinois, 61048. And uh, it'll, it'll get here and we'll take care of it. We'll make sure that you get credit for it and, and the government knows that you've chosen the kingdom over taxes, which is a great opportunity for us right now, especially with this jacked up governmental system that we're in right now. So thank you very much for those of you. There, there's a ton of you that have literally gone out of your way. And I, I don't want to say this right now. I, I, I minister to ministers, and I know tons of pastors. And there's some folks that are, there are some pastors, some ministries, and some churches right now that are absolutely struggling. And there are a bunch of churches that are not going to make it through this. And we're not one of them. You guys have... Amen. You guys have blessed me, blessed us. You have taken care of us. You have, you have made this a priority in your life and in your finances. Um, some of you have even sought me out, sought Kay out, sought the Smiths out to, to get things into their hands. Please make sure that this gets into, into the church. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I believe it's pleasing to the Father as well because you understand that what I just read to you is the Father being pleased as you seek first His kingdom. And I can, I can stand here and say under, under the authority, under the unction of the Spirit of God and under the name of Jesus Christ that what we do at Beloved Church financially is congruent and directly related to the kingdom functions that we are called as a local church to do. So you can rest assured that as you are supporting this kingdom function, that it brings the Father great pleasure. So now I want to I destroy some other aspects of how this fear operates in our lives. I know that it's operating financially because I, I'm watching it. I'm watching it go down. If you're not paying attention right now to what's going on in the world, to what's going on in your environment, if you just decided to, to drill down on Netflix and see how much you can binge watch or, or, or filter through social media or make TikTok videos, dear Jesus, if, if that's what you've chosen to do at this time, you are, you need, you need to repent. And get in the groove with what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. This is a great opportunity to learn, to grow, to develop, to become intimate again, to get back to your first love, to get rid of a bunch of junk that was in your life, re-sanctify your heart and your life and your time so that you can have an opportunity to really get on the same page as the Holy Spirit. The church, as we come out of this thing, the church is going to have a massive opportunity, and I pray that she's prepared for it. She did not go into this very well. She's struggling going through this. But I believe that when we come out, that we're going to be, we're going to be doing well. And 
there's a bunch of our lives. And, and the folks in the kingdom, even folks in the kingdom, there's a bunch of their lives that are being driven by fear. And it is anti-Christ. And I'm, I'm going to hopefully give an opportunity for us to really look at some of the places of our lives today and to destroy the works of the enemy as we come into belief and, uh, and unity with what the finished work of the cross is. Jesus already destroyed these things. And it is time for us to act like it, to operate like it, to believe like it, to walk like it, and to talk like it. So the first thing I want to do is I want to kind of define fear. And I'm going to do this a little different. Instead of just like reading a, a dictionary definition, I'm going to actually use words. I'm going to use synonymous words for fear so that you can understand what its effects are in all these different places of our lives. You know, fear, the word fear and its application in finances brings stress. Fear of poverty um, makes us do ignorant things with our money. I mean, obviously, people have been doing that, buying thousands of dollars of toilet paper and, and just ignorant. I mean, you don't do that because you're operating in a, a calm and a peaceful place with the Lord, knowing that he's providing for you. The only way to panic buy, the only way to to make a bunch of changes in your life right now and, and to hunker down. To, if, you, if you did not wear surgical gloves before this thing started and you're wearing them now, you need to consider that. That's a fruit of what you believe. If you didn't wear an, an N95 mask before this and you are now, you need to consider that. And that's potentially a fruit of fear. And I am not condemning anybody. I'm not shaming anyone. I'm not guilting anyone. I am just going to present these things to you. If the Holy Spirit told you to put an N95 mask on, then you better do it. But if you put it on because the Surgeon General said so, because a governor who's not even a doctor says so, because of the, the specialists, the scientists, the, the medical masters, of our world, based upon the information that they have, if their word is outweighing the word of the comforting Holy Spirit, then I'm going to, I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to walk away from every other voice, from every other influence, and for you to embrace the love of God which destroys fear. So here's one. One of the synonyms, synonyms is anxiety. If you've found that your level of anxiety has arose during these times, anxious, what's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen? When is this shutdown going to be over? You know, What's going to happen to my bills? Am I going to get the money coming from the stimulus? And what's going to happen to my business? And what's going to... That's, that's all anxiousness. That's all that. And you can actually fear anxious. You can feel 
anxiousness working on the inside of you. It gives you that that belly butterfly thing that you know that 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 kind of negative tingle of like, ah, oh, God, I don't know. The opposite of anxiety is peaceful, tranquil. If you've been going through this time and you're at peace and you're tranquil, then most likely you are trusting your Father. The next thing I want to, uh, the next synonym is worry. If you have find, if you found yourself or, or are finding yourself in a in a more constant state of worry, or any state of worry. You, you, worry should never be... Worry is fear. It should never be in a Christian's life. A person who has God for them should not worry about anything. Ever. Ever. Worry and fear. Worry is a fruit of fear. The spirit of fear brings the fruit of worry. Remember, the, the Holy Spirit brings fruits. Love, joy, peace, uh, long-suffering, patience, faith. All, all of these fruit of the Spirit is what the Holy Spirit or the comforting Spirit brings. Well, the spirit of fear brings fruit too. One of those fruit, anxiety. One of those fruit, worry. If you find yourself in worry, worry is the opposite of hope. Hope is a, a joyful, joyous expectation that God is working all things together for your good, that things are going to be amazing. Worry is the opposite. Worry is faith that the devil is going to destroy you. Amen. This is one of those times it doesn't matter whether the room is full or empty. It would have been just as quiet. Amen. <laughs> Stress. Oh, brother, stress is not... Stress is a literal, physical action in your body that takes place from fear. It is an actual manifestation of fear, stresses. I don't know if you know this or not, but stress can actually make your heart slowly die. Heart disease. For the most part, heart disease comes from stress. Medical science will tell you that your immune system, your longevity of life, your hair color, the amount of wrinkles that is on your skin, these things are directly, directly associated with stress. Stress is a fruit of fear. Stress is a fruit of fear. What's the opposite of stress? Relaxed. At rest. A person who's at rest in their father's lap with their head lead up, leaned up against his chest, what in the world are they stressed out about? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. If you really believe that you are seated in Christ... And you live from heavenly places. What could ever stress you out? But the government said, okay, the government of the United States, the government of God. So if this government says something, 
and it doesn't agree with this government, then you've got to make a choice which one you're going to go with. This one, stress. This one, rest. And that's where I'm going to live. I'm going to live and rest. Cowardice. Cowardice is a fruit of fear. Why is... I'm just going to throw this out and move on because this is going to probably cause a lot of people to get really irritated, but you have to love me because you're a Christian. (laughs) Amen. Why is it in the land of the free and the home of the brave that our government, without legal rights, has put every one of us in jail, house arrest, treaded upon the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Ninth Amendment, and the Fourteenth Amendment. And if you don't know the Bill of Rights, then I would encourage you to please go and read them. You can find them on my Facebook page. I posted them not that long ago. But as we stand here right now, in the land of the free and the home of the brave, we are all on house arrest from a tyrannical government that has forced us by fear into our homes so that we can be good little slaves and prisoners to a system of government ruled by darkness. In the land of the free and the home of the brave. Brave. Why is there so much cowardice? Cowardice is a fruit of fear. If you fear COVID-19, you will cower and be a coward in the way that you live your life. If you don't fear it, you are probably looking for people who are sick to put your hands on and release the kingdom into their lives. Because the kingdom of God is in your hands. And your Lord... If you are being ruled by the heavenly kingdom, your Lord said, go into all your world and lay your hands on sick people. That's courageous. The fruit of the Spirit of God that works against fear is courage. So are you in cowardice? Are you in courage? Foreboding. Here's another one. Are you foreboding things that are, that are happening? Things, whispers that you're hearing. Conspiracies about things that might go down and, and just be terrible and, and cause all this damage in our lives and in our children's lives and our grandchildren's lives. And, and we're putting ourselves into debt for five and six generations. And, oh my God, this is such a foreboding time. Or are you in anticipation? When you go to bed tonight, are you expecting to wake up tomorrow and things are awesome and great and wonderful and better every day? Or are you hoping that tomorrow, or are you in, in uh, negative anticipation or if you're in foreboding, you're like, you don't even want to go to bed because, man, you wake up tomorrow and it's, it's something else is going to be terrible and and 10,000 more people are going to be dead, and it's going to get closer to us, and oh my God. 
foreboding. Say, fruit of the spirit of fear. Timidity. Well, I'm just, I'm just a timid person. Uh, no. The spirit of the lion of the tribe of Judah is in your heart. In fact, it specifically says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and I believe it's in the NIV version. Don't quote me. You go look at every version. It's a fun verse. It says, God has not given you the spirit of timidity. It actually says that in one of the versions. That God has not given you the spirit of timidity. Timidity is legitimately an aspect of the kingdom of darkness and of the effects of fear. The enemy loves timid people. You're easy to control. You're easy to steal from. You're easy to destroy. Timid people hide, they cower, they, they don't want to cause any problems, they don't want to ruffle any feathers, let's just leave sleeping dogs lie. Timidity is not a characteristic of God. Boldness is a characteristic of God. My Father is bold. The people of God that are filled with the Spirit of God are bold. Be strong and very courageous. The Father told Joshua seven times. Be strong and very courageous. Boldness is a legitimate aspect of the people of God. If you remember Peter and John when they went to the to the temple beautiful and they and they had raised up that man that was uh, that was lame and broken for 38 years and in an instant just from the power of God that they possessed they released healing into this man's body and he jumped and leaped and praised God and then they went into the temple and they preached a sermon to the same people that killed Jesus 50 days before. They preached a Jesus Christ sermon in the place filled with the people that killed Jesus Christ 50 days before. That's boldness. They were so bold that the rulers of that synagogue literally said, we have noticed that these unlearned and ignorant men must have been with Jesus because of the boldness in which they speak. Boldness is a characteristic of the fruit of God. And it is in you. These aren't things that you need to get. These are things that are in you that I'm going to stir up. Because the Spirit of God on the inside of you is the same as the Spirit of God on the inside of me, which is the same as the Spirit of God on the inside of Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Panic. Panic is a fruit of fear. Panic. If you have done anything out of panic, if you hear some information or see some news, or if you're in a store and maybe it's the last loaf of bread or it's the last... Uh, toilet paper pack and, and you rush over and you do not operate in Christian character. Panic. That is a fruit of fear. And you need to hate it as much as you would have Satan roaming around in your house. The opposite of panic is calm and composed. Calm 
and composed. I have actually determined in this time frame that I am not. I don't even do it the way that I used to do it, which was pretty calm and composed. I literally will on purpose wait to make certain decisions in my life right now longer than I would have waited before just to be over the top calm and composed. I will not. I will not make a decision because of the influence of this world, especially right now. This world has no place in me. Jesus said, the wicked one comes, but he has no place in me. And I say the same thing, the wicked one is coming. He's trying to rule and reign, but he's got no place in me. None of my decisions come from his influence. You know, doubt is a fruit of fear. Doubt. Why is doubt a fruit? Because doubt is the antithesis of faith. It's the opposite of faith. Faith is believing that what God says and what God has promised and what God's character is going to do. That is faith. That is believing. What's fear? It's faith the opposite way. Fear or doubt is faith the opposite way. It's doubting that God's going to come through. It's doubting that God's promises are going to work. It's doubting that the nature and the character of God is going to actually work for you. And listen, beloved, this is for real. You know, Psalms 91 could not have been written. If, if, if you were a time traveler, if you could get in your DeLorean and travel back in time, from this moment and travel back and write something that would give people um, hope and, and, and faith in this moment, you could not write it any more detailed than Psalm 91. If you haven't read it in a while, you need to read it. It literally talks about viruses and things that try to get into your house uninvited and things that try to get into your body uninvited, which is exactly how viruses and germs and those kind of things operate. It literally was written for such a time as this. And you know, the, the, I believe it so much that I know that I am carrying with me a literal aura of power into other people's lives and protection from anything that tries to get in. I believe it because the Bible says it. And that chapter is written to anybody that wants to read it. And you know that I have literally talked to thousands of Christians that say they believe Psalms 91. And they don't. They are hiding. They are fearful. They are they are lathering up with, with hand sanitizer, which, by the way, you all know that hand sanitizer is literally flammable. Like, do you really want to lather yourself up with flammable materials? Look, if that's where you're at, that's fine, but just be careful. You, there's, a, there's as much opportunity to cause damage to you. You know your pores of your skin absorb whatever you put on your skin? You know, those chemicals are literally seeping into you every time you're putting them on. I'm not trying to put somebody into fear. The whole point of this 
is to get us out of operating by fear. That sometimes the solutions to the problems that the world presents to you were the actual way that the enemy wanted to kill you. By giving you a solution. The, the remedy is worse than the problem. You know how many kids have died from vaccines that were supposed to be safe? You know how many people have been killed by medical professionals practicing medicine? And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to condemn anybody or try, try to cast shame on any of those folks. I know that they're doing the best they can. But listen, the, there is no side effects to trusting God. No negative side effects. There's no negative side effects to really, truly believing that Psalms 91 is for you. But you know as well as I do that there is a ton of believers that don't believe. They are in doubt. They are in doubt. Now, if you're there, listen, I'm talking to you from my heart. If you are in doubt, you can cease today. You're being invited out of that. The same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And you can live from that Spirit. You can be drawn out right now. Praise God. This is actually, I actually got this from thesaurus.com. One of the fruit of fear, a synonym for fear, is chicken-heartedness. Chicken-heartedness. <laughs> that... That paints such an amazing picture. If you've ever been around chickens, they're terrible. <laughs> they're filthy. They're, they're, they're nearly worth. If it wasn't for the eggs and the meat, they are just worthless. They can't fly. They can't fight. They can't. I mean, there is nothing. They're ugly. Big old fat. I mean, why would you? God bless them. What's the opposite of chicken-heartedness? Lion-heartedness. What's working on the inside of you? Picture it this way. The enemy is a chicken. He's standing in front of you clucking. God forbid you run in fear. I've seen the videos of, of people and kids and, and poor fools running from chickens and roosters and whatever else. It's, ama it's amazing how fear has such an ability to make the most ignorant, foolish things look correct. I've watched videos of people running from chickens and running from roosters. A bird, a fat Nearly worthless bird that can't fly is chasing human beings. The premium of God's creation, the ones that he declared should rule and reign over every part of creation, over every animal, anything that creepeth on the earth. We are supposed to rule and reign over them. And folks running from chickens. I dare say COVID is a chicken. You going to run? Or are you going to stand there like 
Aslan and Narnia. If you haven't seen Aslan and Narnia, you need to go watch it. Like Aslan and Narnia, twice the size of a lion. Could you imagine this chicken, like, the size of a peanut standing in front of Aslan? And here's the thing. Like, that's for real in the spirit. On the inside of you is an Aslan. On the inside of Satan is something even smaller than a chicken because it's already been defeated. Chicken-heartedness is a fruit of fear. Lion-heartedness is a fruit of the Spirit of God. Insecurity. There are, uh, there are people that I know that have literally made this a character trait. This is an actual personality trait that they live in and from. Some of these people are in ministry. Some of these people are in full-time ministry that I know. They're, one of the main characteristics of who they are and how they live is based in insecurity. They have to have people affirm them all the time. They have to be gathering people around them that, that love them, that would never say anything bad to them. They, they can't take any counsel. Nobody can ever correct them because they'll just fall apart like a $2 suitcase. They have a glass chin as it relates to anything that ever comes their way. Insecure, 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 and they're always looking for something else to bring security in their life. That is a fruit of fear. If that is in your life, if that is in your personality, if that is in anything about who you are, you have got to reject it as if you are rejecting a demon trying to possess you. And I know that's tight, but that's right. Amen. The opposite of insecurity, safe, secure. That's where a person who actually is living in faith, in belief of their father, who actually understands that we are supposed to fear not little flock, a person that is living there is safe and secure. A thousand can fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. And you're just like you're sitting there in a lazy boy like, man, what's wrong with everybody? Why's everybody falling over? Because you're with the Father. You're safe. You're secure. You can literally watch the devastation take place around you and say, man, I am so glad none of that can come to me. I am so glad that can't touch my family. I am so glad this pandemic can't touch my finances. I am so glad that COVID can't touch my body, my family, my church. It has no right. I am so safe and secure in the finished work of the cross that I am just not going to get all worked up over anything I see because it's not real. 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to read this to you in the good news translation. So just kind of listen because you probably don't have that version. 1 John chapter 4 verse 16 says, And we ourselves know and believe the love which God has for us. God is love. And those who live in love live in union with God. And God lives in union with them. Now, what's really important here is that 
John, the, the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, we ourselves know and believe the love that God has for us or to us. Now, I need you to, to follow me here. I, I, I really want to establish this point because this is going to be the axle on which this whole wheel is going to turn. Knowing, this word for know is nosco. It's, it's, an, it's an actual understanding and perceptive knowing. It's, it's, it's experientially knowing. It's not knowing like information. It's not knowing like you know math or how to spell a word or something like that. That's just, that's just cognitive stuff. This is talking about an inspir, uh, an, a, a real legitimate encounter. This is like, hear me out, right? This is, this is the love that I have with and from Kay, my wife. Like, I know. I have done terrible, terrible things in my marriage. And she never quit. She never stopped loving me. I experienced her love. There's a knowing on the inside of me about Kay loving me. You could literally walk up to me with pictures. Actual, like, you, you, you're showing me, like, evidence, picture evidence of Kay cheating on me or Kay saying terrible things about me. I wouldn't believe it. I would not believe what I see. Because I believe what I know. My wife loves me. There's nothing that will change that. Now, if I can know that about an imperfect love that's operating in my life, my wife, why don't we know that about the perfect love operating from our Father? Man, I, I don't know how to drill that down the way I want to. It says, we ourselves know and believe. There is experiential knowing and a believing that we have got to have operated in our lives. And then what's really incredible here is at the very end of that statement, we ourselves know and believe the love which God has for us. Or I think in the King James it says, to us. For us or to us. This isn't the love of God operating from us to the world. This isn't the love of God operating from us to our family or our spouses or something. This isn't the love of God operating from us even back towards God. This is talking about experiential knowledge and a belief system in God loving you. And I will tell you, that this is the silver bullet that kills the spirit of fear. This is the silver bullet that goes right between the eyes and blows the brains of the spirit of fear all over the back wall. When you have an experience with the love of God and you have a belief system that surrounds the love of God that He has for you, Fear can't get within a thousand miles 
of your heart. Because God loves you. God really loves you. He doesn't have to love you. He's, he's not required to love you. He's not some like legal standard to love you. He just loves you. Man, that changes everything. Since you're, hopefully you are close to 1 John, go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1, 1 John 3, 1. Behold, that means looky here. It, this is one of my favorite parts about spending time in Texas. It'd be like, looky here. What manner, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That's the, that's the type. Think about the type. The, there's a specific kind of love that the Father has for you. It is non-performance based. God doesn't love you because you perform or because you don't. You're not his you're not his seal at SeaWorld. God's love for you has zero to do with your performance. God's love for you has zero to do with what you look like. God's love for you has zero to do to do with your natural heritage. Whether you came from the good family or the bad family, the right side of the tracks, the wrong side of the tracks. It doesn't care the color of your skin. doesn't care how fat or how thin you are. doesn't care how tall or short you are. It doesn't care whether you whether the world accepts you or don't. doesn't care whether you're popular or you're not. The love of God for you has zero to do with you and everything to do with Him. Which means it's unchanging. It will never ever change. God could not love you more and God cannot love you less than He does right now. And it has nothing to do with you. That's the manner, the kind, the type of love that God has for us. Look at here. Check out the manner, the kind, the type of love that the Father has bestowed, gifted, granted. The word bestowed means as a gift. It just came free has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Man, did you get that? The kind of love that God has gifted us has literally changed us into His children. It's the love of God that changed us into the children of God. And this word for sons is huios. This is talking about inheritance. This is talking about legitimate. Like the, the king of England has a firstborn son. That firstborn son is huios. It is the inheritor of the entire kingdom. It's already in motion. It happened by bloodline. It's, it, it, there's nothing that can stop it. It's going to happen. That is the word that you and I have been bestowed by the love of God because of the manner of His love. That we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, so this should actually cause something to take place. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to look and see what it's there for. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew Him not. This, this goes... This, <laughs> 
this blows the brains out of the folks of this world. Like they don't, there's no way a person of this natural world that lives in this natural realm, that lives under performance-based love, sex-based love, uh, popularity-based love, uh, monetary-based love. That's the world system. There's no way they can ever wrap their brains around this kind of love that should be a normal aspect of every second of every believer's life. Because it knew him not. Verse 2, beloved. Who's that? That's you. The ones that are greatly loved. Beloved, now. You know what now means in the Greek? Now we are... Listen, this isn't something you're becoming. This isn't something one day you'll cross over some mysterious chasm and and all of these glistening things will attach to you and then you'll just be magically changed into... Beloved, now we are the sons of God. Man, that is in your Bible. Did you know that was in your Bible? Have you read that? Have you thought about that? Have you meditated on that? It's been in here for a long time. Long time. 2,000 years. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. Now check this out, because this is going to build on what I'm, I'm trying to do today. Now we are the sons of God, and it does not appear what we shall be. Are, are you following me here? It's like saying, right now you're a son of God. And I don't really know what to tell you what you're going to be, but right now you're a son of God. You know, most of us can't wrap our brains around like the right now we're a son of God. And I get that. Like, I'm growing in it. I'm developing in it. I'm not all the way there yet. I'm not fully manifesting the, 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 the full maturity of what I'm supposed to be as a son of God. But I have fully embraced the fact that I'm a son of God. I know in my heart I'm more of a son of God than I am son of Sharon. I mean, I get it. I got it. I, I, it is real. It is absolutely real to me. But it is not as real as it should be. And it's not as real as it's going to be. And here's what's radical about this statement. Right now, you're a son of God, which is like the highest thing that anybody could ever say. There is no compliment. There's no higher thing that anybody could ever attribute to you than say, son of God. And this scripture is saying, right now, you're son of God. I don't really know what we're going to be. But, when we know him, uh, says when he does appear, we shall know him. Uh, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is kind of saying like the realm or the way that Jesus lives out his sonship is at some level that nobody really has words for. Let, let me show you this. Isaiah said the same thing. Isaiah chapter 56 Isaiah chapter 56, uh, verse, verse 5. Isaiah 56, 5. Even unto them, this is talking about you and I, this is a prophetic word about the church today, about the born again folks, the born above folks. Even unto them will I give in mine house, this is talking about the way it's going to come, it's going to come through the new birth, the way that you were made to be a temple of God, filled with the Spirit of God. This is the way it's going to happen. Even to them will I give in mine house and within my walls. 
It's going to be something that actually is able to be contained by who we are. A place and a name better than of sons and daughters. Better than of sons and daughters. Now, if that's got your head tilted, you know, like a a puppy looking at some dumb thing that you're saying, then you're probably thinking correctly. What is better than a son and daughter? (laughs) Amen. Uh, Go to Romans chapter 8. Back to Romans chapter 8. We were in Romans chapter 8 earlier. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led, uh, that are called, that uh, that are being organized by, so to say, by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So now this is telling us a really important aspect of how sonship works. Sonship works by being led by the Spirit. If you're led by this world, this temporal world, you are being not a son. Sons of God live their lives, operate their lives from the comfort of the Spirit. From the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Sons of this world get their leadership from the spirit of fear. Sons of God get their leadership from the spirit of God. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 15, for you have not received, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Again. The word again means that you were once there. Before anyone was ever born above. Before you yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You were in bondage to the spirit of fear. It it was a default setting. If you were born of a woman, which you are, the default setting was bondage to the spirit of fear. And you might be saying, I, I wasn't in bondage to fear. I lived by, I was carefree when I, before I met you. Okay, bull. That's a lie. You were in bondage to fear. Your life operated under the premise and the government of fear. You might not have known it. I'm not saying that you couldn't do courageous things. You couldn't do bold things. But they weren't coming from the power of God. They were coming from the power of self. Or from the power of Satan. This is, this is important that we understand this. You have not been given the spirit again. Bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba. Abba means daddy, papa. That's the way we should approach our father. Daddy, Abba. Intimately, experientially. Verse 16, And the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Right now, as I speak, the Spirit of God is saying on the inside of you, You're a son. 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 
hear the words of the Spirit of God. Verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. God is what you're heir of. Not the things of God. Not the stuff of God. Not the temple of God. Not the palace of God. Not the throne of God. You're an heir of God. Are, are, are you with me? Please, please nod at me. I can't see. You, you get this? Like, we're looking at the great and precious promises sometimes. And that's awesome. You should look at the great and precious promises and believe God for them. But what you're actually heir to is Him. Not His stuff. You're heir to Him. It's not about His stuff, beloved. You're heir to Him. And if heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if Christ gets it, you're in line to get it. Not, not some hand-me-down version, not some, some backroom deal, not some, I guess we'll do it because we got to. You have the exact same inheritance that Christ Jesus, the Lord of heaven, the Lord of earth, the Alpha and the Omega has. And if, and if heirs of God, then joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. What's the suffering? You putting a reality and an understanding to the fact that you were crucified with him, but now, nevertheless, you live. But not you. Christ lives in you. First John Chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to start, um, now I'm going to do this different, I'm going to actually like kind of draw a circle here. We're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to go to uh, just a couple of verses down to 19, and then we're going to come back around. So watch my trail Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness. You see how boldness and love work together? No boldness, no love. Great boldness, great love. Lost my place. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. See, we've taken verse 17, you know, as he is, so are we in this world. And and we kind of almost made it like this standalone doctrine. And listen, it's one of my favorite verses in the scriptures. But I want you to get it. Like, the context of what's being said there, as he is, so are we, in this world, the context is us living in and experiencing and believing the love of God because verse 18 says there's no fear in love. Those of you that actually believe as he is, so are we in this world, you should have eradicated every aspect and every attempt at fear in your life. Because that's kind of context, and that's kind of the point of us understanding as he is, so are we. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, love perfected, casteth out fear. This word casteth out 
is the same word used in the New Testament when Jesus would cast out demons. Love on the inside of you literally grabs the demonic spiritual personality of fear and throws it out like a bouncer, a drunk from a bar. Skips his sorry butt down the street. That's what the love of God should be doing to the spirit of fear on the inside of people that have an experience with his love and a belief in his love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. Does that, is that not a good descriptive word of all those things, all those, all those synonyms that I use for fear? You put all those synonyms together and you know what you're going to come up with? Torment! A tormented life. And Christians can live this way. I hate to say it. Sons of God can actually live this way. It's not true in the Spirit. It's not true in your inheritance. It's not true from the, from the heavenly perspective. It's not true in the spirit person of who you are. But people can live this way. They can literally live in a constant and consistent state of torment. How so? By not allowing love to be perfected on the inside of them. He that fears is not made perfect in love. Verse 19. We love him. Because he first loved us. One of the most important um, principles in the entire word of God. You cannot operate in love towards God or towards man. Any greater than a revelation and an experience of the love of God that you have from him. Man, you need to get that. Second Timothy, I quoted this earlier. Uh, go to Second Timothy chapter one. I'm going to read uh, verses six and seven. Second Timothy chapter one, verses six and seven. Wherefore I put you in remembrance that you stir up. Remember, I said at the beginning of this, I'm going to stir up some stuff. <laughs> I'm stirring up the love of God. Wherefore, I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God which is in you by the putting on of my hands. Now, I want you to get this. Like, that's, a, that's an interesting way that Paul said, you know, most people say, well, if I got it, I got it. Like, it, it, if I really had the power of God and the authority of God, if I really had the peace of God and if I really had the love of God, I'd have it. Well, since I don't feel like I got it, well, then I ain't got it. No. You need to actually stir these things up. You know what happens if you don't stir stuff up? It sinks to the bottom. It gets all sludgy and nasty. You've got to stir things up. You've got to keep them active. You have to, you have to hear messages like this. You've got, to, you've got to be plugged into the messages of the finished work of the cross and, and being a person of grace and, and, and being attached to a family, living in a house of grace and, and allowing the, the, the reality, the prophetic reality that God has for you, that you're called to be the healthiest, the wealthiest, and most influential group of people in the region. You've, you've got to let these things stir you up. You've got to go back and put yourself in remembrance. You've got to make sure that you understand. The gift of God that is in you, which was put on you by the, which was given you by the putting on of my hands. I guess Paul didn't believe in social distancing. Verse 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear is a spirit. It's a spirit person. It's an actual entity. It's a spiritual personality. And it's not what you were given by God. One of the most wicked and one of the most prevalent sins in the church today is fear. Because it's so accepted. Well, why do we accept it so much? Because we put cool Christian labels on it. Well, wisdom says that you shouldn't go touch anybody that has a communicable disease. And I, here's the thing. I agree. The wisdom of this world is absolutely intelligent and correct to say that if someone has a communicable disease, you should not touch them. In fact, you should get as far away from them as possible. You should probably quarantine them. Lock them in a little glass box. Nearly suffocate them to death because they've got that deadly, terrible, communicable thing. So the wisdom of this world, that is absolutely correct. But I'm not of this world. The wisdom of heaven says, they have a communicable disease? Well, they need healing. I wonder how I could get healing into a human being next to Steve Castle. Oh, I know. I'll put healing in Steve and then make him go put his hands on the healee because he's the healer. And if that offends you that I said that I'm the healer, you're just going to have to get over it. Because I am like my father. I am like my Savior. My Savior's a healer. My Father's a healer. And I am a son of God, and I'm growing into the full manifestation of the Son of God, so I heal. Obviously, it's not my power. It's his power. It's not my identity. It's his identity. But he gave it to me. I think he gave it to me for me to embrace it. And so I'm going to go ahead and embrace it. So I have come to heal. If you're out there and you're struggling with something, I am preaching for you to hear. For you to be healed. Receive healing. Receive wholeness. We have not been given a spirit of fear. That is not who we are. It is not acceptable for children of God who have love from their Father to embrace any work of the spirit of fear. I don't care what you call it. I don't care if you call it wisdom. I don't care if you call it Submission to government or, or doing what you're, you're told so that you don't uh, become some rebel. I don't care the language that you want to try to put on it to make God weak and limp-wristed and a sissy. It doesn't fly. It does not fly. Because I have been given the spirit of power, the spirit of love, And the spirit of a sound mind. You know what a sound mind is? That person's sick. I need to go touch them. That's a sound mind. Because that's what Jesus did. He sought out sick folk. He literally hunted them. Like a lion hunts a prey. The lion of the tribe of Judah hunted sick and hurting people. Because he carried the solution to their problems. And that's the same thing about you, beloved. First John chapter 4. Now, we went to the bottom of First John chapter 4 
Now we're going to go to the top of 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. False prophets and spirits working in this world might have something to do with what we've been learning about fear. Verse 2, Hereby know we the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Is come in the flesh. Now you can apply this to came in the flesh 2,000 years ago, or you can apply this to the fact that Jesus Christ has come into your flesh. They're both powerful. But if you're not quite there yet, hang tight. Verse 3, And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. So Antichrist is believing that Christ is not in the flesh. Anti means against. So it's against Christ to believe that Christ is not in the flesh. Whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. So if there's a spirit of anti-Christ in the world, if there's a spirit that says Christ is not in the flesh in the world, doesn't that by default mean that there's also a spirit of God, a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind that is saying that Christ is here in the flesh? I guess you can chew on that. Verse 4, you are of God, little children. Now, why in the world would that come right there? When you read the Bible, I would encourage you to think. Why would this verse, you are of God, little children? Why would that come after all of this talking about, and he's literally talking about Antichrist. How do you go from Antichrist to say, you are of God, little children? It's, it, sometimes I think we literally think that these New Testament writers were like schizophrenic. Like, man, look how bipolar Paul is. He's talking about the spirit of Antichrist and, and that, you know, Jesus has to be in the flesh. And they, you are of God, little children. Like he woke up from a dream. No, these, cor- these go together. You are of God. You have the flesh that the spirit of Christ is living in. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Them who? The spirits of Antichrist. The spirit of fear. You have overcome them. What is them? All of these spirits and prophetic voices that are trying to put you into fear. Trying to kill you. Trying to steal from you. Trying to destroy your life. Trying to get you in anxiety and stress and chicken-heartedness. You are of God, little children, and have overcome Them, the spirits from hell, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who's in you? The spirit of Christ. This whole thing is talking about the spirit of Antichrist is the spirit that's working against you. 
It's working against you. Because greater is He, Christ, that's in you than He, the spirits of Antichrist, the spirits of fear that are in this world. All of this comes together to bring this beautiful synchronicity of the fact that God has come to you to be a part of your flesh life, to be a part of your life in this world. And He wants us to affect change in this world. The way we do that is through knowing and believing the love that God has for us. That is the power that's in the Spirit that is from God that I am stirring up in you right now. I am stirring up the Spirit. I pray that you receive this. And I pray that you receive this. Do not in any way allow fear or any fruit of fear, any fruit of fear to exist in your life. That is the spirit of Antichrist. And you need to reject it as much as you would reject the mark of the beast and 666 and everything else that Christians have issues with. You need to reject the spirit of fear. The spirit of Antichrist. Praise God. If you have found that through hearing this that you're maybe become aware that there are some areas in your life that don't quite line up to the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, I want you to reach out to me. I want you to reach out to us. You're probably watching this on some live cast, most likely, um, through Steve Castle Ministries or through Beloved Church or through my personal page. Um, message us. We want to pray with you. We want to minister to you. If you are, if you're in a home and there's and you're and you're gathered with like-minded believers in your home, tell them. Be transparent. Be honest, and say, you know what? I, I am actually struggling with a little bit of the fear that this stuff is bringing. You can't be set free from a prison that you don't know you're in. But if you know that you've been trapped, if you know that the spirit of fear has brought you into bondage, then today you can be free. He who the Son sets free, free indeed. But you have to come to Him for that freedom. And his ministers and, and people, you know, his ministers can be in your family, can be in your home right now, wherever you're gathered together. There's an opportunity for you to be set free from this. And I know that I know that I know that I am not preaching to people that don't need to make this change. God did not tell me to preach this because nobody that's going to listen to me is operating in fear. We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with our Father and allow this to be put to rest in our lives. So if you're out there, I'd like for you to stand up. I want to bless you and then give you the opportunity to to reach out and and receive additional ministry because that's what the church is. The congregation, the church, is about ministering face-to-face, heart-to-heart, hand-to-hand with each other. And we're still willing to be a church, a beloved church. Government can't tell me to stop doing that. I'll go to jail to come over and lay hands on you. It'd be worth it. All right.
So I'm going to bless you. So please hold out your heart by holding out your hands. This is the way that you receive. This is the universal sign of I'm ready to receive what you're willing to give. I'm going to give you the words of the Father so you can have an encounter and experience with his love and so that his anointing can flow into your life. And that these words can stir up the gifts that he has for you as sons of God. Beloved, you who are greatly loved, I declare, I proclaim above all things, that you are prospering and you are experiencing divine health to the degree that you allow that prosperity to take place in your soul. I command it, I pronounce it, in Jesus' name. If you receive that, close your hands, put those words in your heart, say amen. amen. Thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing here. I literally cannot wait to see you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.